Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast, which explores the worlds of sci-fi and fantasy books through those who bring them to life. Every other week, we chat with authors and industry pros about their books, including new releases and old favorites. I'm Lauren, and this is episode 36, where I chat with best-selling authors Amy Kaufman and Garth Nix about a beloved series that we all love, The Dark is Rising Sequence by Susan Cooper. This episode has been a long time coming. The Dark is Rising Sequence uh, is the series that basically got me into reading fantasy. It is the series that kind of changed my reading life and set me on the path that, you know, has shaped a big part of my life. And so many people that I've talked to who are book people over the years also have had that same reaction to that series, including Amy and Garth. And I was, when I was thinking about it, I really wanted to put together a conversation where we just gush about this series, about these books, about why they are beloved, about why The Dark is Rising is so magical, about why that series has connected to people and still continues to connect to people, you know, years later. They were written in the 60s and 70s. So a lot of time has passed and yet these books still hold this magic. And so yeah, I really wanted to um, sit down with some people who just loved it as much as I did and basically just had a love fest on this series. If you haven't read these books... You can probably still listen to this episode, I would say, because there are a few specifics that we say in passing that are relevant to, you know, specific parts of the book, like, oh, and when this character did that, that was awesome. But overall, it's just a conversation about myth and lore in in the UK and the way she was able to capture the magic, her writing style, how it inspired them, why it's such a good series, why it stand the test of time. So... It is a really amazing uh, conversation because it's literally hearing these guys who do this professionally, dissecting another series, dissecting these books that have have impacted them and talking about why she has done what she does in such a successful way. So it's really cool if you're a writer because hearing these people dissect another series and just talk about why it's amazing it was really gave me some insight into the creative process and the differences in it and why she does what she does is you know successfully and why it is successful in their minds and it was just such a cool conversation I kind of was just along for the ride I gave the guides and they just sort of chit-chatted um uh, yeah so if you have not read this series um, and you want to read them first, I could not recommend a series higher. They are not big books. They There are five of them, but they um, together probably total the same amount of pages as like the last Game of Thrones book. Like they're all, they're not large books, but they are filled with so much magic that it is wonderful. So yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a quick read. They're quick reads, you know, arguably the... The best book in the series is the second one, which you can start with because book one and book two are connected, but you don't have to read them in that order. Um, if you want to read The Dark is Rising first, get a taste of the world in the series, see what you think, and then go back and read the first book, you totally can before you move on to three, four, and five. Or if you want to, you know, start at the beginning, which I love the first book too. It's not as good as the second one. The second one is the book in the series, but it's still wonderful. It's still magical. It still introduces you to this world that sucks you in. And um, yeah, so that could be a really fun way to start too. And you can actually, you know, start with the first book, which is Oversea Understone. It was just such a good series to talk about. I hope you guys enjoy this as much as I did. It was just <laughs> so much fun to to talk about this. And like I said, this has been an episode in a long time coming. I've, I've wanted to talk about this book and talk with Susan, which I didn't get the chance to for this episode about these books for a few years now. And, um, you know, it was just the timing wasn't right. I wasn't sure what I was doing in regards to the podcast. It just things didn't quite match up, um, but it never left my mind. And I always wanted to make sure that I was able to give some love to these books that are so life-changing for so many people and so magical and hopefully introduce some new readers to this series because people who are fans of Amy's or fans of Garth's who maybe haven't read these or haven't even heard of them, guys, you got to check them out. They're just, oh, so good. Um, on my end, I am currently in California. Um, I 
years ago, years and years and years ago, I know it feels like another lifetime. I used to work with animals professionally. I used to work with birds. And I was like, you know, when you go into the zoo, there's a bird show person there. That was me on stage with the birds. And my boss now lives in Northern California and still works with animals. And so we've talked off and on over the years of me coming out here um, and photographing the, the animals in my style, which is, you know, I'm a fantasy fine art photographer. So it's, it's going to be a week packed with photo shoots. I think total, I'm going to have, there's going to be 15 looks by the time we're done. And I'm just really excited. I was able to bring a whole suitcase full of dresses and just, um, you know, we're digging in. I got to photograph, uh, yesterday we started and I got to photograph two owls and a raven and an eagle. So off to a really good start in my mind because I'm a bird nerd. So, but we're going to have some uh, foxes and a badger and uh, a vulture and snakes and spiders, which are the two that are today, which will be fun. And uh, a bobcat. And so there's just, it's just magical. I get to have this experience and, you know, it, it's giving me life in my photography, which has felt a little stagnant for a while too. So it's, it's just a wonderful trip. So yeah. I am, I am here and I am <laughs> having fun. Um, on the book front, I actually have an interview coming up for the podcast with Cassandra Clare for her new book, Chain of Gold, that is coming out in March. And Chain of Gold is kind of the next generation of shadow hunters after the Infernal Devices series. So if you've read her books, she has her first, you know, The Mortal Instruments, which is City of... Um, City of Bones and City of Ashes and City of Glass and uh, and then there's three more after that in that like initial you know two trilogies but she wrote in between the first three or kind of alongside the first three a trilogy that took place back in the late 1800s it's a steampunk vibe there's automatons and it's just they're so good the three main characters in that are just so good and this upcoming book is their children. It's their story. So it's kind of still taking place back in that time. It's with those people. And I realized that I haven't read all of her books. I have some that I'd left open, including finishing that trilogy. And so I was like, you know what? I, I want to reread them anyway. So I reread them and I did them on audio this time. And I finished the series. And oh my gosh, you guys, I have to tell you that ending destroyed me. I was sobbing, like sobbing for multiple reasons. There's, it, it's so well done. It is so emotional. Um, oh my God. I mean, it's like literally destroyed. I, I, <laughs> there's goodbyes that happen. There's hellos that happen. There are emotional partings in various degrees and it's just <laughs> so well done and so rough at the same time and then so beautiful and oh my gosh so <laughs> I have to think that's probably one of my top five favorite endings of a of a series ever now it's it was that good um so yeah it's been really fun to revisit the Shadowhunter world I did the initial trilogy the three first Mortal Instruments books and now I and then I did the Infernal Devices and then I finished with the other Mortal Instrument books and now I'm on to the Dark Artifices um, just so I'm back in that world for her before I interview it because there's just so many wonderful characters and yeah, I don't know if you've read Cassandra Clare. If you haven't, you have to check her out because they're like some of the best fantasy books out there right now. And it's wonderful because she's such a complex world that she's created that you can like, she can just do spinoffs in, until she dies. Basically, there's just so many, um, wonderful, wonderful stories to be told in this world. And I love that she keeps revisiting these side characters or these, the next generation, the, the children, the, the friends, the, yeah. So it's, it's really cool to see how she's expanded the world. Um, so yeah, that's an upcoming episode and I'm really excited to share that with you guys. Okay. Now on to my conversation with Amy and Garth about the dark is rising sequence. I hope you enjoy. Garth and Amy, welcome back to the Ink Feather podcast. It is lovely Hello. to be back. We are here basically to gush <laughs> about a series that we all love. Um, this is a bit out of my box because normally I'm talking to authors about their own books as other than at the end when I'm like, hey, what have you read that you love? Normally we're kind of digging into things around publishing uh, when you're, you have a book coming out, but this is mainly just 
three people who love the Dark is Rising sequence. And we're going to kind of dig into um, why this series is so awesome. So I guess, first of all, I would love to know, um, like, what is your first memory with this series from each of you? Uh, my first memory is is very specific. I can pinpoint it. I was in grade six and my school librarian, Mrs. Amiot, uh, told me that The Dark is Rising was her desert island book. And I was very taken with that, with the idea that there was one book that you could want, that, that could be good enough that it would be the one that you could read forever. And it must have been November because a couple of weeks later, I was given my first ever book gift voucher uh, for my local bookshop, which is still my local bookshop today. So I took myself down there and was ready to buy my copy of The Dark is Rising. And they actually had the omnibus edition that had all five books from the series in it with this sort of very thin sort of almost Bible paper. And so I, it cost $20 back then. I had a $20 gift voucher and I took it home. And I have been reading that book every Christmas ever since. That actual edition? Uh, yes. It doesn't have a cover anymore. I mean, I have the cover. The cover's not attached <laughs> to the book anymore. Uh, and it's very beaten up, but it's still the one that I read. Oh, that's a great story. What about you, Garth? Oh, very similar age. And uh, I also encountered the book uh, in the library, the little children's library that was in between my home and school. I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was before I turned 11, which is very significant, of course. Yeah. And I also read The Dark is Rising first, okay. which I think is also beneficial because I think it is by quite some degree the best book of all of them. Uh, and But once having read The Dark is Rising, I wanted to read all the others immediately. Uh, and I was lucky enough that that little library could get them all for me. And then also, like Amy, I bought that uh, Puffin box set uh, very soon after. I probably got it for a birthday or for Christmas, actually, I remember hounding my uh, my parents to get it for me so and I, I do still have that though I actually have quite a number of other editions particularly of the dark is rising because that's one of the books that I collect uh, I collect lots of my children's favorites and I, I love collecting you know different editions and particularly different hard covers um, and of course my ultimate aim is always to get the, the same one that I read from the library the same edition same cover uh, which I have done for the dark is rising isn't that funny how it's it's also that specific like memory with the cover or the imagery or the size like I had the same kind of visceral reaction because um, I'm rereading them for this interview but I tried them for, on audio for the first time which I'll get into in a minute um, but it was very uncomfortable emotionally a little bit I was like this isn't like I'm really glad I'm doing this because it was actually a totally different reading experience doing it that way but it also was like I, I kind of carried around my little mass market that was the one that I read when I was a kid um and see for me it was it I actually started with um Oversee Under Stone it was the uh we had the Scholastic Book Clubs here I don't know if that's an Australian thing too but yes it yeah. is yeah so when we were in I think fourth grade um, our teacher read us in class over C. Understone. And then she basically petitioned all the parents to bring us a couple of dollars so that we could all purchase The Dark is Rising as the next book. Uh, so we all would have the series to continue. Now, I actually didn't read it right away. I read it and ended up in like early high school, like maybe 13, 14 is when I finally read it. And that's when I, and it, it, it like really remembered, oh, I thought I th this book was cool and I have the second one. What is this? And then of course my mind was blown and um, same kind of thing. I had that, like, I need to read the rest of them. And it is the book that got me into fantasy period. Like I I read like Gene Craighead, George, and even like Anna Martin's The Babysitter's Club and things when I was younger. But that was the series that made me go, wow, magic is so cool to read. And I, this is all I want to read now. And um, yeah, it's, it's funny how we can have this emotional attachment to the story and then continue to revisit it um, into adulthood. And I, you know, I'm not like you, Amy, I don't read it every year, but I do reread it semi-regularly and um yeah also like you do, do, you, do you reread the whole series amy no just the dark is rising and then i, I i've reread the whole series probably three times and had quite different experiences each time at, at different ages 
But yeah. um, but no, it's just The Dark is Rising that I go back to. There is, as you say, there's something special about that book. It's very interesting. I, I, I do love the whole the whole sequence, but I think but Oversea Under Stone, there's, there's a massive leap from that to The Dark is Rising. I still yeah. love it. But it's it's and it, and it's that thing where you compare an author to her own work, which is always very unfair. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> because they're all great books, but the, the Dark is Rising is just a really astonishingly spectacular book. I have reread yeah. the whole series maybe three or four times, but I've probably read The Dark is Rising dozens of times. Uh, not every year, but uh, but many many times. It's interesting. It's a Christmas book. Yeah. For you, given as we are now here. And in Australia, it's in a summer, Christmas is summer, but it's such a wintry. Right. Uh, it is. And I mean, it's... we could not be further from that wintry Christmas right now over here in Australia. <laughs> oh. You know, it is over 100 degrees across the whole country. Everything's on fire. But maybe that's the attraction. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember when I first read it, because I may have read it in a Canberra winter mm. where it is cold and icy and so on. And I, or it may just be that that feeling of winter in the book was so strong that I remember the winter of the book and it blanked out everything else. It you know, yeah. blanked out what was actually happening in the environment around me. Yeah, see, I, because I bought it with my my birthday book voucher in November, I must have been reading it at Christmas. Yeah, that makes and sense. And I do wonder, you know, if if perhaps because I I grew up in Australia and in Ireland, but I I only had a couple of Christmases in Ireland when I was small, and it didn't snow. So I, I wonder if part, part of the attraction for me as a small child was thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, this is the Christmas I dream of, but not the Christmas I get. Yes, yes. I mean, I won't lie. I lived in South Africa for two years in my 20s, in my mid-20s, and Christmas was weird. Swimming in a pool, I was not okay with it. We have snow in Pennsylvania. It's cold here. So I, I, it was very unnerving to be like, there are decorations and people walking around in shorts and tank tops. I'm not okay with this. This is weird to me. You know, this is not my Christmas. Um, so I can see that, that appeal, like you said, that, that cozy roaring fire, that, that idyllic Christmas that is presented and how, I mean, obviously it's not necessarily presented that way in the story because they in a part, they're actually literally freezing to death and um, all of that. But, too much snow. Yeah. No, it was yeah. the enemy, but, but that's interesting. I mean, and I guess um, very, no, yes, a very different experience for Australians. Um, and it's part of its part of its appeal, I think. And then it's tying into a very long uh, cultural history of of Christmas, too, I guess, which is also part of its part of its appeal. Well, its appeal in general, I think, is 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 its deep roots into myth and legend, uh, you know, and, and they feel much more deeply mythic than the sort of facile Christmas that, that, that we have, you know, the sort of shallower Christmas stuff that we mm. have. It feels like it goes, it goes deeper, and I think that's very much part of the appeal of the book, uh, particularly The Darkest Rising, but the, the series in general is is the connection with, with, with ancient myth and legend. And, and, uh, you know, the old ones themselves, the whole idea. And, and and as I said, it was very important. I read it age 10 because I really hoped when I woke up aged 11 that I would be an old one. Uh. <laughs> but I wasn't, sadly. <laughs> I became an author. It's the next best thing. I was going to say, you might be yeah. like old one adjacent, you know, like, you know, the, the helpers. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating because, you know, I keep thinking when I was setting up for this podcast, I was kind of thinking about the broad strokes of this, um, the questions I wanted to ask you guys and talk about, because uh, the the myth, the, you know, when I think of the series and my reaction to it as child, I don't remember it being the King Arthur legend. I don't remember that like being tied in. It was, it was like a quest book. It was um, or a quest series. Like I will say, I I love the Great King almost as much as I love the Darkest Rising. The Great King to me is like magic. Like they're like to me are like hand in hand those two books. The other three are awesome too, but those are the two that I like are I love love love. And I think part of that is because it's it's Will's quests. You know, he has to go retrieve the things and have these um, you know experiences and adventures along the way. But I was just thinking about you know, what it is about these myths that are so timeless that, you know, 40, 50, X amount of years later, this particular story, and obviously the Arthurian legends in general, and um, 
that questing idea, why we keep coming back to it. It's just, it's so fascinating to me that this is such a, that this is a series and, and a book specifically that has such a strong draw for a reread. Like, what do you guys think? Do you think it's because of the, the timelessness of the myths, like you were saying, or do you think it's just also her excellent storytelling or maybe she just, it's just like a magic. Well, it's, it's, it's what you do with it. I mean, there's lots of people drawn on the same myths and the same legends yeah. far less effectively. Um, you know, she is a wonderful storyteller and it's the weaving together of different legends and myths. I mean, it's taken, you know, it's Arthurian myth and then there's Norse myth and then there's other, you know, British legends and myth in there. And it's just, the, I think the blend, you know, is tremendously well done, you know, and far better than many other, other people do. I think perhaps because it feels, it feels very real and so much part of the story. It's not bolted together or it feels, as all the best you know, children's fantasies do, it feels real and she makes it feel real. And that was what yeah. it feels to me at 10 and what appeals to me now I think yeah that it feels like this is the real version of that myth yes that you know although when you're reading other books perhaps you feel that way about them too but it feels like you know the, that the Arthurian story was true and that you know, when you're reading this now that this is the future continuation of what happened back then and you know it doesn't feel made up it feels real and I think it also there's something about starting it when you're young and and I it certainly still happens for me when I'm older, and I suspect it would still happen even if you entered the series when you were older. There's something about feeling like you personally could slip inside the story. And I remember find, feeling that there was something different about this book to some of the other fantasy books that I read when I was that age, uh, you know, which I also loved. You know, I was a huge Tamara Pierce fan. There was a bunch of stuff that I was reading. But I remember looking at this one, and because it had one foot in what was very recognisably my world, I felt like, you know, I, th I think it's the letter to Hogwarts thing, you know. You, you I literally took the words out of my mouth. Yep. Yeah, you know, you feel like there's a very clear and visible open door that you could use to slip inside this story yourself. And, where you know, whereas in, in a, a fantasy that's set in a completely different world, there's no way for you to join it and you can love it but it doesn't have that little point of accessibility that means that you could have that adventure. Maybe, just maybe, it could be you tomorrow. You know it's not, but there yeah. is that minute chance that, you know, and fill in the blank. Yes, 100%. Yeah. I completely agree with that, you know, and I just think it's it's also just one of the things I think, like you were saying about a good children's book and, and drawing you in, it's also like the children are so capable and they lead the story so well that it's like, the, I mean, Merriman obviously is like, I wasn't gonna say a strong accessory, but you know the kids are the driving force in these in these books, and and um, being in their heads and on their journey and how they have to cope with the the challenges is was really fun to read because it it felt like I don't know it made me feel like I could do anything. I mean I know that's a crazy thing to think, but I was like okay, they're fighting these scary things. I can do these things myself, which I mean as a children's book that's really powerful stuff well i was just going to say i think one of the interesting things she does is that it's not just in a will who who becomes the old one um and so he's magical in himself he, he is the boy wizard essentially um but but also through the books uh also you know the family of ordinary children yeah the dreams, and, and then yeah. bran of course who is also has, has his sort of mythic um uh, you know, power, but it, the fact that she can do that is 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 very interesting. You know that she can blend blend the ordinary the ordinary kids who are incredibly important, uh, Simon, Jane, and Barney, and you know, it, with with the characters who are children, but are also much more than that. And I think that's another aspect of the book that that makes it appealing because. I mean, as you as you were saying, Amy, you could be you could feel that you could be one of those kids, even if you couldn't be Will. So of course, yeah. if you just turned twelve, and you're not, you know, you turned eleven or twelve, you're you're coming to it later. So you go, okay, well, I'm not an old one, but I can still, I'm, I can, I could be part of the story in the same way that, that the ordinary, relatively ordinary kids are. Um, absolutely. So you absolutely. possibly do have to have a great uncle Merriman for that to happen, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But maybe 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 there's one you didn't know about who just turns up, you know. Yeah, yeah. well, and there's also even the peripheral characters, you know, and I'm I'm thinking now perhaps, you know, slightly more of, you know, 
the I guess the the villages in in stuff like Overseer and the Stone and, and Greenwich and you know the the farmhands in in Grey yeah. And, yeah. and so on they take the children incredibly seriously yes they the children yeah. tell them something is happening because they Hello? you know they have a belief in the myth themselves they they yeah. treat the children with such respect I was just going just going to say it's because of their connection to the myth as well mm. so they they instinctively feel it, that, that they know what's going on because they're part of the land and the myth and they're connected to those deep roots of place as well. I always like that about it very much. Yeah, very much. You know, the, yeah. the, people, the people feel the history and the myth themselves and so they, they kind of recognise it when they see it, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. That, that, that kind of goes back to what I was saying about, you know, the kids being the driving force and it's oh, totally believable. And again, it's because she's created this world, like you said, that the kids' opinions are respected. I mean, they're still children, but they aren't pushed aside. They are actually treasured as someone that is useful and helpful and important. Well, and there's a whole lot of stuff that only the children can do. Yes. That actually no one else can do. And everyone knows that, that they have to trust the children to do it. I was thinking about that, even like rereading Oversee Under Stone, like the, you know, towards the climax of the story, like Barney is the only one physically small enough to go into the cave to get the grail. And part of the Mm. book is them um, you know, especially like his sister being like, oh, is he too young? Is he too little? I'm worried. And, you know, that even comes up again in Greenwich. And she's like, oh, I don't know. And but it's like, yeah, but if Barney wasn't there, th- would you have even been able to do this? Like he is he is he is, you know, crucial to this. He is important, just like all of them. Um, one of the things I also really loved uh, as a reader was and I remember this very profoundly. This is a strong emotional reaction I had as well was the revisiting of characters that I fell in love with. Cause you know, book one is the three Drews with Merriman. Book two is Will with Merriman. He's in all of them, Merriman. But like book three is the Drews and Will. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're meeting and they're together and they're, I love them both. And this is great. Cause they're going to meet. It was like. Which is probably my second favorite. Yeah. Same. Greenwich. It's hard to pick favorites. Greenwich is probably my second favorite. After the dark is rising. Um, possibly in any series, I quite often rearrange my favourites at, at different readings, but based upon my most recent reading, which was not that long ago, uh, last year, I think I reread them all. Uh, I think Greenwich would be, would be my second favourite, and perhaps it is as much to see the Druze again and Will interacting with, yeah. with them. And I, I love the sort of mutual suspicion at first in that yeah. book too. Yeah, and and there's and I, this might sound a little odd, but I feel like watching the the Drew kids and Will together is almost the same. It's a relation to the same thrill that I get reading fan fiction, because one of the cool things about fan fiction is getting to see what one character thinks of another character that you already know. And in this case, you know, we know the Drews and we love them, and we know Will and we love him. And then we get to see the Drews, you know, as you say, experiencing him from outside. And we get to see Jane sort of, you know, cottoning on that, you know, wait a minute, look at the the looks he's exchanging with Merriman. And, and, you know, he looked very adult there for a moment. And we get to see her figuring out stuff about him. But having been inside Will's head so recently in the last book, now getting to see him from the outside, I I find really, I don't know, there's something about it that really sparks for me. It's very appealing, isn't it? Just to see all the all the characters interacting. Yeah. I mean, you want them to all get together. Yes. I think it's true. There was just something that's a really interesting analogy because I've never really read any fan fiction. I'm, I'm like ashamed to even say that as a nerd. But uh, I just and it's not for any lack of desire. I just it just hasn't ever come up on my radar. And I I love that's a very good way to think about it now that you're describing it that way. But yeah, it's like I get like almost like a rush. It's like like you were saying like oh will they love each other and then they do love each other because it's even though that last scene you know on on Greenwich when. Will makes the present that she throws back in the sea and she's like, you're not, you're not like everybody else. And he's like, no, I'm not, you know, and they like have this moment of kind of understanding and it's really, really fun. Um, I don't know. I just, yeah, I just, I'm trying to, you know, like I said, when I was setting up the questions and just thinking about this discussion, I really was just going on what I was feeling, what I, um, 
what I remember having that emotional connection to with these stories and why, why this story, I mean, I love, you know, you went, you mentioned Hogwarts. I love Harry Potter and I reread those too sometimes, but I didn't, this to me is maybe it's cause I read this when I was young and I didn't read those when I was young. I don't know. Um, I don't have the same emotion. It is always about the emotional connection. I mean, the books that last longest in your life are the ones yeah. that create that emotional effect. It's, 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 the memory of how you felt when you read the book that you want Mm. to recapture, often rereading, or it is for me. Uh, And I I think certainly the books that have the strongest emotional resonance for me are always the ones that I want to to reread. I want to feel the same emotions again. And and I think that's what makes them stick around. It's what what makes them classics is that they can evoke, uh, you know, a very strong emotional connection. Yeah. And these certainly do. I mean, it's why when we try to recommend, you know, a book or a movie or a TV series to somebody, we barely ever spend much time talking about what it's about. You know, you because everything. I mean, partly because most things sound quite silly when you boil them down to yeah, you know, a short description. It's true. You're like, you, okay, here's you know, the thing. Trust me, it's really good. You're like, yeah, okay, that sounds great. It's crazy. really good, but they spend the whole book, well, the trilogy, walking to throw a ring in a vault. No, trust me, it's gonna. It's, <laughs> it's much more exciting than I'm making it sound. This, this but instead, he's got to collect these things. He he's got to stick on his belt. He's got to get yeah. this bunch of badges to stick also, on his belt. Yeah. yeah, and he learns He learns from a book. There's a lot of studying. It's great. And an old lady. But, you know, the way we describe, you know, if, you, if I'm trying to sell somebody on watching a TV series I love or reading a book I loved, I say things to them like, oh, I had to sleep with the lights on or I laughed so hard I couldn't breathe or, you know, it made me want to scream at the book. I, and I do that much more than I talk about what it's actually about and and I think that just goes back to what Garth was saying about the stuff that hits us the hardest and stays with us the longest is the stuff that creates those responses and that emotional connection. I would probably just tell them the rhyme for The Dark is Rising to get someone to read mm-hmm. the book. When the yes. dark is rising, six shall turn it back and just go on from there. And yeah. if that doesn't ah, work... Free from the circle, free from the track. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> Wood, bronze, iron, water, fire, Water, stone. fire, stone. Five shall return and one go alone. It's so good, you guys. I'm like, okay, and now we're done. Bye. <laughs> I'm going to go read. Go read. I know. Well, um, it's really interesting. So have have you ever in any of your rereadings either done or sampled the audio? Yeah, I've done the whole thing via audio. I've not. Who reads the audio? Uh, uh, I don't not know. Not a narrator I was familiar with. But Alex you know, Jennings, I think yeah. his name is. Um, except for the Grey King, which really annoyed me. He's the other four and... So I'm actually doing the Grey King. Oh, see, I, yeah, it is a guy called Alex Jennings, I think. And I, when I got to the Grey King, I was so angry that they had changed the narrator on me. And then I but, fell in love with him because he does all the Welsh so yes, well. Yes, I'm halfway and, through the Grey King right now and I am love That's I, a big challenge. It, it really Alex is. Just, yeah. yeah, I just looked it up. I, I, I very rarely listen to audiobooks at all. So uh, he's done an enormous amount. Well, he was, it's a, is it a man, Alex Jennings? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, he's done. He's done a huge amount of, of audio books, but uh, no, I've never, I've never listened to any. It was great. It's been really fun, and I will say, um, my my journey with it, this reread on audio for the first time, has been very interesting because I'm feeling all the the feels like more because I like, for example, even when I listen in general, I usually speed up to like one and 1.25 speed. So it's like the narration sounds more like general talking as opposed to a lot of narrators talk a little slower. I've had him on the regular speed the whole time because it's that more lyrical. And it's like after Oversee Understone, I was about three quarters of the way through. I was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. These are so, this is so sinister and so creepy because there's this like this nebulous <laughs> dark that's out there and like she writes it in such a way and it's like, I just had this feeling of, um, and, you know, I was like, Ugh, I'm like reading it and it was like, causing me stress, like anxiety, you know, even though I've read these books and I know what happens, I was just like, this is stressing me out, like these are so intense. Um, but then I was like, I mean, and I actually legitimately was like, if I'm having this reaction in Overseer Understone, am I going to be able to handle The Darkest Rising on audio? And I was like, okay, I have to do it. And I'm really glad I did. But it's been really interesting having it read to me, you know, and having that experience and hearing it with an actual British narrator, having the Welsh, having the accents, the Cornish accent. Um, it's been really fun kind of multi-level experience of rereading this beloved series that, because um, I'm able to actually 
see things in a new way, I guess. But yeah, I guess what made me think about that was just this level of like the way she's able to write the the vague kind of feelings in this book. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Like there's there's so little um I'm so used to like I feel like more books I've read recently are more give more detail or go or feel the need to explain or and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just sometimes this is just more like a nebulous you just know the dark is out there and that it's something evil is going to happen and we don't know what yet and the way it's presented it just I don't know created this air of Suspense. I think she's very good at she she what she does incredibly well is she picks out specific details you know whether it's the opening of the dark is rising with you know the radio going to static every time Will walks near it or or his own dog shying away from him or you know when the the widow collapses in and there's snow on the floor and there's just a you know a one feather in it mm-hmm. she gives you those details and then allows you to do the work yes to fill it in yourself you know she doesn't serve it up on a platter she lets you leaves these spaces for your imagination to go into and she's just so good at it oh, he's so good that's a very that is the whole arc of very good of great fantasy yeah. too uh, yeah i think that's actually this it's not a secret because it's there in the text but yeah uh, provision of, of just enough detail to enable the reader to create it all in their mind is 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 what you know, works tremendously well, and and, and she does it you know, very, very well. Yeah, it, it definitely, like I said, obviously I've noticed it before because I've read these books, but hearing it brought it to me in a new light and was just like, man, I am like feeling things stronger than I had remembered feeling when I read them. And it was just such an interesting, interesting journey to, to, I don't know if I'll do my next reread on audio or not. I'm not, I'm not sure um, if I like it more, which is unusual for me because I actually generally love audio, but, um, but again, these are so beloved to me. And so like that nostalgic rereading. Yeah. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's really great. Um, I don't know guys. I just, I just wanted to kind of gush about the series because I feel like as fantasy fans, you obviously fantasy writers, it's just, you know, having this book that having this series that so many people connect with. And I've talked to so many people throughout all my various book events and travelings and things that are just have an emotional connection to the story. I just thought this would be such a good series to kind of touch on and, um, you know, just the appeal of the magic in the stories and, and the, like you said, the myth and the way the books are written. It's just a series that is worth, um, I don't know, giving some modern love to because it's, I mean, I think the first book was written, published in 1965. So it's been around for a while, but it still holds strong. And I, you know, would encourage people who maybe are fans of Amy or Garth who are listening to this and maybe haven't read the series. If after all we've said, you are not picking these books up, then you definitely should. They're worth picking up on totally on their own merits just to enjoy yeah. them. But I think they're also worth reading because they are very influential books too. Uh, I think yeah, absolutely. several generations of fantasy writers, particularly writers with children, have been mm-hmm. deeply influenced by Susan Cooper, um, including J.K. Rowling, I'm sure. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, that's another level of which it's, it's, it's good to read them. But that doesn't matter, I mean, because they're, they're such great reads anyway. Uh, right, they, just read them because they'll influence you. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. You'll, you'll get good things out of them if you're a writer, absolutely. But just as a reader, I mean, they're, they're tremendous stories and it's a great series. And and uh, I think it's also, if you are a writer, it's quite interesting to read the series because the books are, are somewhat different. Uh, and and there is, a, there is a difference in approach and even in prose uh, between the different books, particularly between Oversea Understone and the others. Um, but in, even in just the approach, uh, I think is a bit different. The kind of story she's telling is a bit different in, in each of the books. Um, so that's that's interesting as well. If you if you if you're interested in in how someone can tell a a, a story over five books, but they they're, they're actually they are quite different, and uh, they tell different kinds of stories, but they do all, all all link together. I think that's that's interesting. I do think she probably wrote. Oversee, understand without knowing she was going to do any more. I would suspect. Mm. I don't know that. Yeah, it has that feel. It has that feel of it. 
And then yeah, they well, dark- certainly not, you know, with a view to building a, a five-book series the way yeah. she then and, did. Yeah, and The Dark is Rising built the, you know, it, it sort of, it, it built on from that and also laid the foundation for, for everything else while also connecting back to Oversea Under Stone. So uh, it's interesting on that level. Though I, I have to confess I've never really thought about that until we just started talking about it this mm. sec. <laughs> I'd be curious about that too because, like, obviously in the end of book of that Oversea Under Stone, part of the grail, the, the, scroll, the scroll that translates it is lost in the sea. And it's like this unfinished part of the story. So it's like a, are they ever going to get it back? Are they ever going to be able to read it? Is the dark going to come for it? So, I mean, to me, there is a sense, I I mean, I'm not disagreeing because it definitely is a jump in narrative and storytelling and the feel of the books, like the first one versus the other four. It's definitely definitely set up there, but I suspect she just didn't know what what it was. What it was, yeah. Mm. Um, though, Though, of course, who knows? I mean, yeah. Could always ask her, and in fact, I'm sure she's probably talked about. Yeah, I'm it. sure. Probably find this out if, if we. Uh, <laughs> yes, if, if the Google machine, yeah. Yes. Maybe yeah. I'll maybe I'll look that up and tack it onto the. I'll just talk about it at the end of the podcast episode because it is a, it is a curious thing, and. Um, I'm just having a quick look. I mean, obviously, Understone was 1965, but then The Dark is Rising. Seventy. Was 1973. Three, yeah. So, Seventy-three, yeah. So that's probably when I read it. I was ten. That would that would make perfect sense. I must have read it as a new book just out. Mm. Yeah. So that's quite a, that's quite a gap in terms of, of of series writing for the second book to be eight years after the first. Um, but it's, it's, that's that's a sort of interesting writer thing, I guess, as opposed to reader thing. I also find it really interesting how she managed to pack so much into not long books. Um, because you think of fantasy mm. as epic fantasy and they're like tomes that hold your door open because they're a big brick, you know, or whatever. I mean, obviously not because both of you write, you know, non-contemporary fiction that is not necessarily a gazillion pages long, <laughs> but they're very like... I don't know, if you threw Illuminate at someone's head, you'd I probably was like, hurt them. I mean, yeah, it's... Best not to throw it, I would say, Amy. <laughs> not well, to to me, you could lift it. Oh my God, if you me. could lift it, that's right. How far could you throw it? You could have an illuminate throwing, like tossing the cable. Like, like like an egg toss, but like just books flying through the air. Oh my gosh. I would yeah, be Lauren, I feel like you should now put in a little ping. You know, ink for the podcast does not recommend you throwing <laughs> yeah. an illuminate or anything. Please other do books. not throw any books. I am not into that. that Particularly okay. giant tomes. Giant. <laughs> no. I'm sitting here looking at my illuminate files and I'm like, that's sad. I would never do those to those books. They're, so, they're too pretty to throw, frankly. They're just too nice and I wouldn't want them to be sad. But like We're throwing books in general, not recommended. Yeah, agreed. No. Um, though you know, Amy, uh, for Garth's picture, we, we we did burn books for his calendar picture, so we really have no no room to talk about book damage, I guess. But um, that uh, was, but it was just it was a it was just a Barnes and Noble bind up. It was uh, ten, <laughs> ten million exists. It was. I didn't group. do a cherished book. It was a yeah. This uh, looks okay. I mean. Obviously, I'm not. I don't encourage that either. People, we're not. We're going to be like, oh my god, these people. In fact, no. I would. I would go as far to say it was really just an interesting binding of random pages. That's exactly what it was. That's why I bit it. Yes, almost. I've got my. Um... I know. I remember. Um, I remember reading a, a piece years ago uh, about how there are courtly book lovers and carnal book lovers, and courtly lo- book lovers respect the object of the book itself, and carnal book lovers. Uh, are more into the story and so they'll happily <laughs> break spines and dog ear things and you know shove books in their bags and and the, the two have quite a great deal of trouble you know understanding each other meeting in the middle i'm kind of both except, yeah except that as per usual it's a continuum where people are generally not one or the other that's sort of in between i would imagine but, yeah uh, I, well, I think even the most carnal of book lovers probably have a few particular volumes yeah that they, they treat with very courtly love yes I was gonna um, honor this reread with my, um, I, I, my big splurge that I got a couple of years ago. I bought the East Impressed edition, like so, like the really nice leatherback Susan Cooper signed the Dark is Rising edition within the series, and they're beautiful. Oh, yeah, they're and I, I'm, I'm Garth. I'm kind of like you. I, I became a collector once I started seeing like weird editions of 
various books in the series around being like, oh, that's a cool weird cover. That's one I don't have. Or like three of the five and like they were hardback and the spine had a picture and I wanted to get the rest like that kind of thing. And then it became a, wow, I actually love this series. I should start collecting. And so this was a one, this was a set that I really, really wanted. And, but then I couldn't bring myself to read them. Cause I was like, what if they, what if I have something on my fingers? Like it was like, <laughs> okay, I mean, I spent too much money on these books. You know, they're, yeah. they're too beautiful. But then at the same time, I was like, they are, a book, and I won't lie, they have the nicest feeling paper I have ever felt on a book. It's like it's like cardstock per page. I'm not even kidding you. It's ridiculous. Nice paper is a thing, but I have to say that <laughs> penguin, that puffin box set with the onion skin paper, mm. uh, that was very nice. I mean, I've still still got that. I did get a, a first British hardcover, which I I took to ALA one year, and, and I got it signed by Susan ah, Cooper, cool. so that's fairly precious. Um, so I and I must have been I don't read that one. It's in that, my bookshelf. That's cherished. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I don't, I, we are I, such nerds. Oh my goodness! <laughs> we're sitting here talking about a book series that's been out for fifty years. Of course, we're both nerds. What are you talking about? Well, I think it's also interesting because I, I'm not normally very fussed about getting books signed. Uh, mm. Like I, I don't get books signed that often. I'm just happy to have them. Um, so there's very few authors where I've really, really wanted to get. Uh, a book signed and, and Susan Cooper was up there when I saw she was going to be at the same ALA. And uh, so I, you know, I, I, I carried my, <laughs> I carried my copy of The Dark is Rising overseas to, <laughs> to LA actually. And, uh, and uh, was when she was, when she was being given the, um, uh, given an award by the ALA, which has temporarily gone out of my mind. Um, uh, yes, a very prestigious <laughs> award. I think I'm, the asthma has, has reduced the oxygen to my brain, I think. Uh, I, is it the Edwards I, Award? Yeah, the Margaret, Margaret A. Edwards Award, yes, yes. And she gave a great speech and she was signing books afterwards and, oh, cool. uh, and she signed that for me. So very precious. Yeah, you know, at my my first ever uh, BEA, which would have been in also in 2012, I think, I I was signing, I think about three or four tables up from Susan Cooper. Really? And I I was, and but our signing session was an hour, and hers was half an hour, uh, not because she had fewer people to sign for, but because she's Susan Cooper and she doesn't have to hustle, and so. <laughs> I remember knowing that hers started after mine began and ended before mine began. So there was literally no way for me to get to her. And I did not look left the entire session. I could not bring myself to look you and see like, Susan Cooper. I'll be so Cooper. sad. I'll be so sad. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that she was that close and I couldn't get to her. I wrote her fan mail years ago when I was younger and she replied by sending me, um, I think it's the Boggart. I think it's a book that she wrote. Oh, it's a book. Yeah. yeah. Um, a signed copy of that and, like, some cool, like, Dark is Rising a book, bookmark swag or something. Um, wow. It was, like, really – yeah, it was really cool. Uh, That's very nice. And, so, and then I, That's like nice. – I mean, it was it was great because I was, like, I, I, super fan. And I think you could tell I was a kid, you know. So uh, I probably gushed a lot. But, yeah, and then, like I said, the Eastern Press – it has like a certificate of authenticity that she signed also. So it, uh, this is officially her, which is funny that they have to do that, but I know that they do. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's just, but that's just it. There's certain things that you, like you said, the, the signature, it's like, I love this. I connect to this story so strongly. Um, I always find it fascinating as someone who, you know, talks to authors. Like when I go to Comic-Con and I see, authors in the signing and like fans waiting like forever to talk to you guys for like two minutes and they're like this is the best story ever and like how these stories are like that, that same visceral reaction people have to these books and um you know but we're all we all have that so I think that's one of the it's one of the beautiful things about being a book nerd <laughs> as you were saying Amy but like what I was saying earlier was like I, I was thinking about this again and I was reading like, like Greenwich, for example, Greenwich is not a big book by any means. It's like a four hour audiobook, And so much mm. happens in that story. Um, none of them are big. None of the books are large. Like they all, but they pack that she packs so much into those books. And like, I think you were saying the way she plants those clues, how she 
like you were saying the the snow with the feather but just 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 a little like seasoning to make your imagination go off and do things to okay i got the point across and now we can move on with the story um i think is another encouraging pro to to now tell people to read it not that they shouldn't read it anyways but they're not long reads there's just there's so much magic pecked into such a not gigantic series which is kind of amazing um how she managed to strong it's strong story cordial it's the pure stuff mm. it's not it, more it, yes stretched out exactly distilled down to its absolute essence yeah it really is and like she just has this way of like saying certain things that makes you go okay and then it just fills your mind and makes the story so much bigger than it actually is um yeah it's it's crazy <sighs> i don't know i i'm 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 interested to see how i feel after i finish this reread like i said i i'm only halfway through the gray king right now um and i i actually almost I put the audiobooks again down because i was like one of the reasons that was one of my favorite books and again as a kid was i loved how they explain how to read welsh in that book and i was like this is so cool i'm gonna go to wales and i'm gonna like find the mountain and i'm gonna talk welsh to the welsh people and i'm gonna understand how to read it because he explains it in the book i was like as my kid as a kid that my, my mind was blown with like this is another language and i'm learning how to speak it like it was the coolest thing to me that i could go to this like foreign land i still want to go to wales really badly just specifically well, the great the great king also does very clearly explain welsh yeah that's what i'm saying that, like how yeah bran is on the hillside teaching him welsh and it's like okay here's that's how helpful. It's, anyone yeah, the the, the, the put your tongue behind your teeth yes. and kind of blow and, and me there being like, yes, yes, I can do that. Yeah. They'll, they'll practically think I'm a local when I arrive. I know. That's what I'm <laughs> like, I'm like, I'll just like walk around with that book while I'm there. Oh, my God. Did they think you were a local, Amy? I haven't made it yet. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> oh, no. Well, remember that the those um, black stove pipe hats that women wear, everyone wears them in Wales. Oh, so, so if I'm really going to blend, I should make sure I've got one. Yeah, absolutely. That's, <laughs> okay. I wear one myself whenever I'm there. So, Pro tip, thank I'm you. Sure, it helps. It helps. It helps you fit in. I was there recently. I was actually in, very briefly there in October, actually in Swansea. Um, but yes, classically, the classic book tour, very, very briefly. Um, unfortunately, but I have I have spent a bit of time there long long ago, and I, I would love to to spend more. Um, and yes, I think. The Grey King, reading The Grey King when I was maybe, well, I would have been in my teens, is it was part of you know, her, her creation of the, the magical whales there is, is part of what makes the real whales attractive. Yeah. Uh, in, in the same way, so much British fantasy uh, creates that sort of dream, the dream of England that doesn't really exist, but uh, you, you wish it did. It makes you want well, to When you experience it differently because you are... You, you can't untangle what you believe it to be from what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think the other thing with The Dark is Rising, there is that hidden England beneath the regular one. And so even when you are there and you're amidst what might be a very mundane, <laughs> a very mundane Britain, you still hope that there is there's that mythic that mythic layer is there beneath the surface and that, and that it will somehow just come out at some point. And sometimes, of course, uh, it might, uh, or you have the sensation of, I'm not saying that, that you, the, the magic will actually exist, but you, you can have that sense that it is just around the corner uh, and, and that, that depth of, of, of the myth is there somehow. I mean, nearly always in, in a sort of rural aspect rather than a, a urban one, but but I've certainly been in places in the United Kingdom where I've, I've felt that, that 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 the kind of myth that is that she connects to so well in the dark is rising is somehow there, and it is it, it is it is present, but it is not it hasn't fully emerged. And you sort of hope it will, and kind of also hope it won't. I was like, depending and, on which yeah. part emerges, yeah. Yeah, well, and then the moment, and then, then that moment passes, but you still have that experience, and it's and, and books and. Books like The Dark is Rising obviously put that in my brain very early on and you know, yeah, made absolutely. that. No, but like the magic of the of the places I I'm um probably I've never been to the UK and I'm there's a chance I'm gonna be laying over there in a, for a trip I might be taking in April. And I was I actually looked, I was like, All right, Truistic 
is Turistic isn't actually a place. It's named after another town. I can't remember the name of the town. It's a longer name um, in Cornwall. And I was like, how far is this? Can I like go down there and Airbnb for a couple days and just like walk around the moors and like look up at the headland and like go like I legit looked this up like three days ago because I was like, well, I, I, I can. Would... If you can, you should. I, I mean, I, I went to the UK when I was 19 um, and I drove all, all over the place mm. and I revisited many places entirely based on the my favorite children's books and i reread i reread them while i was traveling around oh, so that's cool. i yeah i did reread over sanderstone and the greenwich when i was in in cornwall uh i spent quite a long time there and that was very a very formative experience uh i guess combining combining the real experience with the red experience and finding the gaps between them of course but it also it, it deepened my interest in in the kind of myth and legend that Susan Cooper works with so well and is and is a foundation for so much fantasy in English in, in English literature. Um, so it was looking back on it, I realised that I was I didn't know I was helping to equip myself to be a writer, uh, but it, it was a sort of logical next step from having read the books to going to try and experience the landscape where they were where they were set and and not just the the, the ge geographical landscape and the human landscape but, but the, the mythical one as well um so yeah thanks to thanks to susan cooper i i, I think i probably um to her amongst many others i i owe my my entire career my entire life really in terms of, of, of being a writer and the kind of writing that I do. I'm um, Susan oh, Cooper, yeah. Alan Garner, Dinah Wynne-Jones, um, so many people, um, and but, but she's certainly a key one. So, Amy, did you just reread The Dark is Rising this Christmas? I did, yes. I did. Which, which, which is an achievement for me right now. I was going to say. I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I think you'd be busy I'm, enough. And didn't you like submit oh, no. four books this year or something crazy? Well, I submitted three, but that was all before the baby was born. And then it had a baby. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then I submitted another one and edited two more, and it's been a time. Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> the thing about publishing timelines is they run a couple of years out, so you commit to things before you before you know. But um, no, I've I've read a lot of books this year, but most of them I read on my Kindle in in the dark hours of the night while I was up with the baby. Uh, but I um, no, I I read my my big onion skin page version. I just I just found a few hours. It doesn't take long, and squirreled away, and you know found a quiet spot and just read it because I don't know. It fills it fills up my bucket just having those quiet moments to submerge myself in stories, and that's one I just find incredibly easy to submerge myself in. And and it is renewing, as you say. I think it's, yeah, it is. It's, it is one of those books that that, that does refill you. One again, I yeah. think this the, even the whole series too, not just the book, but like I'm still getting filled yes. up as I'm continuing. Um, I mean, granted, that book, like you said, there is something about that book that is just special. Um, really yeah, though, though, just this discussion has made me think that I, I, I feel like I must go by. I feel a strong urge to go back and reread Silver on the Tree again because it's probably the one I've read least. And uh, and so just talking about the series makes me think, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go back and read. And I've reread most of the others more recently. Um, so I'm, I'm going to reread Silver on the Tree possibly in the next few days, I think. Well, make sure you read it before I come up in March and then we can sit down and, we can and chat about it. Yes, because I would love to chat about that one. Well, now that I've thought about it, it's going to happen much sooner, sooner rather than later. <laughs> that's awesome. I was like, okay, well, that's a cool discussion that should be recorded. No, I mean, obviously not, but like <laughs> that would be great. I mean, there, yeah, there. We'll have wine for that one. I was going to say, what do you guys do in your spare time? Yeah, pretty much what we do on I was podcasts. Like, what do you mean you're going to sit and drink wine and talk about books? I'm like, maybe I should change my yeah. trip to Australia because clearly that sounds amazing. No, I mean, they're just, they're, there's just so much in all of them. And they just, yeah, I, 
I think the one I re I remember the least detail wise is over Sanderstone for some reason. It's like the one I can't remember the details of. I just remember the broad strokes of it. Um, and maybe it's because like I read it initially when I was so much younger and then I didn't connect as well to it. So I'm always like the other four, I can remember more of the details. And then I'm like, oh yeah, and the first one, the one with the grail and the dude with the dark eyebrows and they're on that head with the big stones. Like I can't remember the detail details. So it's been fun rereading and like jumping back into the rest of the story and yeah. you know, the Drews and how much I just love that family and how their dynamic as siblings and, um, and again, their interaction with Will as, as the series continues. So yeah, that's, it's just, it's just so good. Thank you guys for sharing this love fest. With me. I mean, it was yeah, very happy to talk about. Yeah. What a pleasure. It's books. just such a good Anytime. series to, to discuss because like you said, it's so impactful in so many ways, um, emotionally on people, but also like forming, you know, the formativeness of like writers, like you were saying too, there's just so much about this series that has trickled out into the world in such a wonderful way that I don't know, I just wanted to give it some love. <laughs> so, um, Absolutely. And thank you guys for, for listening sure. and, um, we will be back in two weeks with another new episode, but for now we are signing out. Bye. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Amy. See you later. Take care.